Hey everybody, I'm Rob McMichael, along with Tim Whitaker and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived, and how we can better represent him and his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little bit more about us, let's get into the episode for this week. This is episode number 38, and this is the first time where we get so derailed from the Christian in the News segment that it overtakes the entire podcast. We discuss Christianity and the local church model, and how history gives us some insight into current practices. We will look to turn this into a much deeper discussion in the future, but we hope you enjoy this brief overview this week. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. (laughs) No, Tim... Tim. Rob. You're going to have to start over. I don't want to. I'm too fired up. Right, I'll try it again. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee no, Theology. No, no. One more time. Welcome, everyone, again. to the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined here with my other host, Rob McMichael. Was that better, Rob? Uh, it was. It was moderately better. Listen, this is all your fault. You're the one who got me fired up. Folks, I am so fired up right now. I don't even have the words, which, as many of you know, is not like me. I always have words. Not he's, this time. He's so, he's so out of words, he forgot to mention. Jordan is not joining us tonight. Uh, I forgot. It's okay. Thank you. I got you covered. I got him fired up. This is my fault. Rob, you know how to push my buttons. You know. Here we are trying to find a, a good segment for our Christians in the News bit, and you know who, you knew who to go to. Old faithful. Old Trump. Oh, man. You just had to do it, didn't you? And not not even just Trump. No. You know, he's, he's a news article in himself. Ooh, okay. But Trump being glorified for talking about Christian things. Oh my freaking word! I'm okay, <laughs> folks. Let me just back up for a minute. If this is your first episode uh, or first time listening to this podcast, start from some of the earlier episodes. I am a little fired up. I love Jesus, I promise, but I do not like Trump, and the reasons why <laughs> is because or are because the Christian right has hijacked our faith. I go into much big detail about this in earlier episodes, but for sake of time, I'm not going to go over that again. All I can say, Rob, is that you sent me this video of President Trump talking about Jesus and faith, and Christian evangelicals are eating it up like he is the second coming of Christ himself, and it drives me nuts. It drives me up a wall. I'm pounding the table as we speak, up a wall, (laughs) and I'm going to tell you why, because they're not consistent, because if you look at President Obama's presidency. He mentions Jesus. He mentions that he's a Christian. He even has a prayer written on the Western Wall in Jerusalem that is so Christian. It is so Christian. Rob, I have it here. I pulled it up. I actually researched this for this episode. So President Obama penned a prayer that he left in the stones of Jerusalem's Western Wall. Here's what it said. Lord, protect my family and me. Forgive me my sins and help me guard against pride and despair. 
Give me the wisdom to do what is right and just and make me an instrument of your will. What do Christians call him? Oh, he's not Christian. He's a bad person. He's this. He's that. Blah, 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 blah. Muslim lover. Muslim lover or Muslim. All of his conspiracy theories. President Trump, who has posed in the cover of Playboy magazine, who is on his third marriage, who claims that he doesn't (laughs) need forgiveness. I'm sorry. I got to call it out. See, this is the good thing about having a podcast, Rob, is that I can say whatever I want because it's my podcast. I don't have to be filtered. I don't have to be all nice. I could just say it. But President Trump, who I understand why people can vote for him on policy issues, I understand that, is has no fruit of being a Christian. And yet people, like, they just drool over him. Like, he's some good Christian man. It is mind-blowing. It's shocking. <sighs> Rob, calm me down. You got me this way. Now calm me down. I insist. I don't, no, I don't, I don't think there is any calming down, especially, like, the video was, was just proclaiming it. Like, he... He preached a straight-up gospel message about salvation and told his testimony. It was like he told another guy's testimony of a guy who was saved in prison. And, it, it like, me, I'm like, okay, that wasn't really that clear. Like, okay. The best okay. part for me was the end when he talks about how we're going to pray more and how we're going to be saying Merry Christmas more as a nation. Like, <laughs> what? Like, threw that in there. Like, how much more pandering can you do? And then he talks about how three years ago it wasn't like that. And he goes, do you guys see the difference? No, I see no difference because no one in reality really cares about a Walmart worker saying happy holidays over Merry Christmas. No one cares. No, Tim, I guarantee it. Starbucks is bringing out a red Christmas cup this year that says Merry Christmas right on it. Guaranteed. You know what? You think so? You think Trump has, yeah. has convinced them? Yep. He's, he talked them. He talked to them. They're going to do it. Maybe it was part of their sensitivity training. That they shut yeah. down for a couple of days ago. We'll have to ask Jordan when he comes back on the episode or on the podcast. But Yeah, are they re-releasing the Christmas Cup? Is- oh, my gosh. Rob, I don't – you know, I was having a great day with my wife. I was – it was a great day. And you just had to do that before we hit record. And you captured this rant, this tirade that I go on. Oh, my – it's it's just – it's it's – I don't have the right words. You know why? You ever have those moments when you realize that your vocabulary is too limited to express how you feel? Yeah. It's one of those. I wish I had stronger, I, more, you know, proper, like big fancy words to use besides aggravating, annoying, stupid, ridiculous, dumb, crazy. But that's all I have. But I feel like his his speechwriters are very good at researching Christian keywords oh, and just hitting so every single one right. of them. He hit everyone. And this man was saved through faith. Buzzword. Cha-ching. Oh, you're right. Mer- Merry Christmas. Cha-ching. Yes. Oh, uh, now he has a great ministry that does this. Cha-ching. <laughs> That's all in the video. You're right, Rob. That's such a great point. He does because they hit every single Christian buzzword to sound as Christian as possible. But see, okay. I know our topic today is going to be not about this, but let's just talk about something for a second. All right. Let's just, let's pause for a minute here. This is one of the major, in my, in my opinions, opinion, major problems with our current American Christian movement is that there's not a consistency between professing a belief with words and a lifestyle that matches up to it. And that's what we're seeing now. And here's the thing. Trump is not the only one. And listen, you and I by far by far, are not perfect people. That's not the point. The point, though, is that 
We're in a culture that can have someone say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and then say things and do things that look nothing like him on any level. Not even in the sense of a, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm struggling with this. It's just unabashedly, this is who I am. So that's what's probably the most frustrating thing is that we are okay with people publicly saying, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, but meanwhile, they have a, they have a marriage that looks nothing like it, or they're part of a culture that does has nothing to do with with a, a Christian worldview in the sense of like the biblical text. I mean, I'm not talking about the political Christian worldview. I'm talking right, about right. if you read the scripture about how you know the idolater, swindler, greedy won't inherit the, won't inherit the kingdom of God. How that's not a problem in our culture for someone to say that they're a Christian and then be all of those things. That kind right. of stuff is what I'm talking about. So I do think we're, we're just seeing the fruit of what we've been doing for 30 or 40 years now. And yes, yeah, so this isn't our topic, but do you think it has any correlation to how, I don't know the right way to say this, remove the Christian local church has been where everybody comes and listens to one pastor speak and then you go home. There's no accountability there. It's just come hear a message, go on your way. And that's not to say everyone's like that. Obviously, there's a lot of people that set up good ministries, are involved, they, their life is reflecting what they're preaching. But on the vast majority of the whole, we have this nominal Christianity. I go to church on Sunday, I gave my 10%, I can go home and do whatever I feel like that night and for the rest of the week. You are right on the money. It's funny you say that because... The other day, I was talking to one of my pastors, and I said, you know, I had um, I had uh, an epiphany the other day. So I was driving, listening to, to some worship music, and it was such a great song. I was just reflecting on how powerful the words were. And you know those moments where you finally, in your brain, make a connection between two things that you couldn't find the connection between, and it was kind of bugging you? I've always wondered, why do I kind of get worked up or, or frustrated with either modern-day worship music or the modern-day church setting when I can't always put my finger on it. And I think I finally found one of the biggest connections I've had in a long time. Because the reason why I get frustrated is right is really what you're saying, but the way I put it in my head was we will go to a Sunday morning service, which I think is good and healthy and, and very necessary for the life of the believer, and we're going to sing these songs about how much God loves people and how much we love God and we're going to listen to a message that's all about how to live a better Christian life and how to understand the gospel better and then we go home and do nothing with it we do nothing with Mm -hmm. it and I think for me that's the big disconnect that hit me I'm, I'm thinking you know a lot of our churches don't have systems set up to actually put into practice not just quote unquote ministry things but life things we don't ask ourselves questions about, well, what kind of food are we buying? Um, what kind of trash are we making? How do we live more simply and not and not more in debt? And how are those actual sin issues? Those are more social sides of the Christian life that I don't think we touch on a lot. But that, that was, for me, a, a big part of what you're just talking about, where I finally, finally made that connection of, man, we sing these amazing, beautiful songs that I think are right and true. And then we go home and we do nothing with it. We just internalize it as like a mental thing. And the gospel was never meant to be just a mental belief. It was always meant to be an action lived out. So I think you're right, Rob, in what you're saying. We're we're seeing that that gap grow wider and wider apart because it's just common and understood that to be a Christian is just to, you know, they, they take that verse in Romans, 
Profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And that's it. But that's that's not fair to the whole to the whole picture of the gospel and into all of scripture. There's much talk around the life we live, around how we treat each other, around how we treat our neighbor, that are evidence of us being an actual true Christian. So when we don't have that, we have to really rethink our faith and if we really are saved. I hate to put it in such bland terms, but it's a serious question we have to wrestle with as followers of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely the whole culture context. And this gets into something I think we've, we've talked about before, too, is the, the modern church service is because you're only getting people there once. Yes. So now you're doing a gospel message, an encouragement for believers, a rebuke of believers, correction. Um, you're getting so much trying to pack that all into one service. Yes. Where you're getting non-believers coming in that are hearing a message about, all right, you have to live a good Christian life and these are the commands of Jesus and this is what you have to do to live out your faith. But they don't have the relationship to base that faith on. And it's just this jumbled mess of material that unless you're a believer, you can't sort through. And so we, we have this culture that... Some are believers, some aren't. Some are living for the Lord, some aren't. And we're just all kind of together in what we're doing because there's no separation there. Listen, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, there's a big movement, as we know, and I don't know why this is a thing in our particular church culture, but we have this view of the Sunday morning meeting that it's designed for the unbeliever. Right. That whole seeker-friendly movement that kind of swept through our church culture of, well, we don't know who's coming out. We should make people feel comfortable. And listen, I understand what they're saying. They're saying that if an unbeliever comes out, it's important to make them feel not totally out of the loop and for them to be able to understand what's what's happening on some level. To a degree, I can empathize with that. The problem is that that's not scriptural in my opinion. You don't ever really see times where Paul's talking about, hey, and listen, when you're reaching out to your neighbor, make sure you invite them out to your church service first, and then they get saved through that. It's usually the church services around the believers gathering and pursuing the heart of Jesus together. And we have that backwards here in our culture. And because of that, we've made these Sunday morning gatherings, these really big events that are really planned out and have a lot of elements to them that aren't even... I don't want to use the term biblical because that would make it seem like, like like they're wrong. I don't think that they're necessarily wrong. I just think that's a lot of time and energy spent on things that maybe in the long run aren't as important as we think that as we think that that they're going to be. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And so and what happens Frank- is, sorry to cut you off. So what happens is is that we spend a lot of money and a lot of time, and we spend a lot of time building people to do this work of planning these big events instead of equipping them for actual life ministry. See, I think we've confused the term ministry to mean church work. Like, oh, we're going to equip you for ministry, aka being more involved in the church program and planning and building, but not really involved in how to love your neighbor better or what it means to live as a Christian in your local context with a group of believers outside of just a Sunday morning gathering, as as opposed to a whole, you know, and and along with like a a holistic lifestyle. So I'm completely in agreement with, 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 with what you're saying. 100%. 100%. Yeah, and Francis Chan, if um, you listen to kind of his last messages before he left Cornerstone, yeah, he, he started to get on this tangent of 
what are we doing and why are we calling this church? And one of his last messages was like, I don't know what this is, but I can't call it church from a biblical Acts 2 standpoint. Mm. And he got into, um, he's, he basically was like, you know, when we started Cornerstone, there was like four things we knew we had to have as a Christian church. And we made sure we had a good preacher, we had a good band, and we had good programs and a good building. Right. He's like, he's like but if all I had was the Bible— and its word to me, is this what I would get to? And he's like, I can't say that I would. He's like, I'm not saying this is bad or wrong or anything like that. He's just, he was basically exactly saying the Sunday morning gathering as we see in Acts doesn't look like this. And it wasn't too long after that that he then started his house church plants and just getting believers together in a small, small way remembering the Lord in that way, and then going out to preach the gospel. But here's the question I have for you. Do you think then that the current church model is, even though it's not as it was described in the Bible to a T regarding how they shared all things in common, all that kind of stuff, um, do you think, though, that this current church model is so far gone you have to burn everything down and restart? Or do you think that that these are that there are still genuine Christians in the church, even though the model looks very different from what we see in Acts? Because don't forget, too, I, I think part of that, part of the church model we're seeing in Acts was also just a culture that they were in as well with available things. So I go back and forth myself. I'm not sure if just because we're using projectors and maybe um, you know better technology and maybe our music is, is a little more sophisticated, does that mean that it's automatically bad and wrong then because we're doing that? Right. And no, I, and to your point, there's definitely believers and I think churches are seeing blessing and salvation. And so God is using what is available, but that's not to say we shouldn't ask the question, can we do church better? And can it be more to the purpose that it was intended? And I think both of us would agree the Sunday morning gathering shouldn't be about oh friendship Sunday and bring your friends to church and have them experience God. It should be a time set aside for believers like the disciples. On the first day of the week, they just had the breaking of bread or the communion, as it would be called, where they just remembered him. That It was a simple thing. But then if you look at where their then ministry was or their gospel outreach, they were going out and reaching people. Paul was speaking at the synagogues. Like if you look at the the first several chapters of Acts into 13, 14, 16, you see them going to the synagogues and teaching and preaching. You see them going to different cities and preaching. They weren't inviting everybody, hey, come back to Paul's house. We're going to have a worship service and then we're going to have fun activities after. They were just going out and they were preaching and they were finding people. And the gatherings that they were having were the Sunday morning, the disciples came together, the believers came together to encourage one another, to share things, and then to enjoy the Lord's Supper, and then they went out again. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You touched on something I think is important to talk about, the Lord's Supper. Now, you mentioned that in the early church, they were they were really meeting around the Lord's Supper. That was one of the central things of the church gathering. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, absolutely. Now, does your church um, practice communion every Sunday, Rob, or no? Yes, we do. Okay, so check this out. I was talking to, uh, well, Sarah and I went 
to Texas a few weeks ago to visit our friends Paul and Paige, who are Anglican. And we were able to participate in that tradition for a couple of days. And it was really eye-opening and really enjoyable. And something that, of course, is a very big focus of the Anglican service is communion. It's a huge part, or the Eucharist is what they call it, obviously. Um, yeah. And it was really eye-opening for us because what I realized was that in the Protestant movement, where in early church and even in Roman Catholicism and Anglican churches, the Eucharist is central to the gathering of the, of the Sunday morning service. In the Protestant movement, the, the preaching of the word is central to the Sunday morning service. Ironically, though, we are commanded well, I would say commanded by Jesus that as often as we meet to do this in remembrance of him, but we're not commanded that as often as we meet, make sure we're preaching the scripture consistently. Of course, I don't think it's wrong to preach the scripture. I think it's very important to do, but it is interesting right. how I grew up my whole life in you know Baptist churches, um, AG, wherever else. Communion was, was a very, um, uh, I wouldn't say rare, but it wasn't often. And when it was done, it was almost tagged on at the end of a service. Like, oh, and by the way, communion. Take your little wafer and your cup. Let's make sure your sins are forgiven, and let's let's do it. But it is interesting because I do think that's a big part of what we're missing in our modern-day church is that the emphasis on communion I don't think is there like how it needs to be because that is mm-hmm. so central to the church meeting it's also central, I think, to the church tradition. It's important to recognize that for thousands of years, Christians have, have met around the bread and the cup. And all of a sudden, over the past couple hundred, um, we've just kind of stopped making that a humongous priority, even though it really is scripturally. Yeah, and it's funny because there weren't, there weren't a lot of commands from the Lord in reference to how a local church should operate. He kind of left that up to his disciples to get into the specifics, and that's what a lot of Paul's ministry was, was setting up local churches. But that was one of the things he set up. And so we would think, hey, the Lord told us to do this. Let's do it as often as we can, or at least as often as the disciples that he commanded to do it would do it. So that mentality I never understood of, well, it's the yearly thing, or it's the monthly thing, or it's the bi-month, whatever it is. It's like, yeah. They were, they were doing it once a week, and it was so important to them, where there was times where the apostles were traveling, but they would stay the extra day so that they could meet with the believers in that local area for the breaking of bread, for the communion, and then they would leave after that. Yeah, it also makes me wonder how... I know that scripturally in the Protestant movement, in evangelical uh, you know churches, we do treat it seriously during... Uh, scripturally speaking, we talk about about the sincerity of it, how it's important that yeah. you're a believer, but but we treat the actual elements so lighthearted. We usually have grape juice and a wafer. There's not right. actual bread and wine, or not you know. In scripturally, I think it was a full meal that Christ had before that actually happened, and we don't really do that. And I think it's probably because we don't want you know of uh, the time it would take or you know whatever. But it, I don't know that that part never sat right with me either because. For things that we want to do, we make happen. A lot of churches have very serious production. They have things timed out. They have rehearsal. They have tons of man hours going into what a Sunday morning gathering will look like to make sure things flow nice and that their technology is up to speed. But we won't take time to prepare an actual meal for the Last Supper, for communion, even though in Scripture we see it so clearly. Or what we'll do is we'll only have grape juice and not actual wine because of whatever our 
conviction is that's not really biblical. There's nothing wrong with, with wine, especially considering that Christ had it during the Last right. Supper. But it is interesting to see how the focus is in our tradition in the evangelical movement, it's really heavy on the word, which makes sense because you think about the Protestant movement and where that came out of with Luther and importance on scripture alone and justification through faith. But even Luther believed actually in transubstantiation with the Lord's Supper. He was a big proponent of of of, of doing that consistently, and we've kind of gotten away from that. Yeah, and it, it was interesting. I was listening to some messages around this whole idea but it was a totally different topic, but they were touching on the Anglican church actually and how the Anglican church was a response to the reformation. So it was kind of the church of England rebranding itself and saying, what points did the Protestants have in the reformation and were they correct? And it was Catholicism rebranding itself and kind of taking in some of the ideas of Luther. Which, ironically, and I don't want to go off a huge side note here, um, <laughs> which we already did, but ironically, though, Luther, he didn't come to to have a revolution. He wanted to reform the Catholic Church. His whole point was reform. It was not to, to supersede and to start his own thing. His plan from day one was, no, 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 we need to reform the Catholic Church with these things, which is what the Anglican Church really is. So it is mm-hmm. very interesting that, that even what he set out to do it, it, it really became its own thing, and then the Anglicans came around and said, well, what did Luther really get right, but what also is so important to keep? You know, one thing regarding that that we that Sarah, Sarah and I really loved was that they followed the church calendar. I never even knew there was a church calendar until like a month ago, and how they follow Lent, and they follow, um, you know, celebrating Easter for, for 50 days, and how they celebrate 12 days of Christmas, and how everything has significance and symbolism and meaning. And I thought to myself, you know, I think in in our well-intentioned uh, evangelical culture of, of America, we, we do a lot of things really well, but we miss out on some of this tradition because we're scared of whatever we think is, you know, tradition and old. And we don't think that anything in the past has a lot of value to what we do now. But Sarah and I are rediscovering how a lot of these things have actual rich value and heritage and how they're really healthy to do because they're a rhythm of life. They're not just these once a week meetings that kind of go wherever. They're consistent things that, that the church has been doing for thousands of years in a whole different context and how it's important to bring that here as well. And would you say, I think we've touched on this before, even even in blog posts that we did before the podcast, but somewhat on the podcast too, is how the word church has been changed to our modern day usage. Completely. Where church, the usage in uh, biblical times, it was a called out people. It was a, a people group that were called the church. So when Paul would write to the church at Rome, he wasn't writing to a building He was writing to the group of people that gathered together and were called out in Rome. Same with Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi and Colossae. And all of these groups were groups of believers. Today, we say church and most people mean the building that I'm going to. And so there's the disassociation that has happened where church is where I go, not who I am. Yes. Where back in the day, church was who I am, not where I go. And so the, the, the mentality has totally shifted where now you just act Christian while you're in this building, but you don't take it with you, where 
I think if that was our mentality, I am the church, and wherever I go, the testimony of that local believers goes, it places a guard and makes me think twice about some things. Yeah, well, I think it, it just, that view is consistent with with where the Protestant movement would eventually evolve to. Let me, let me explain briefly. So the Protestant movement happens, Luther nails his 99th Theses to the wall, that you know, people think that the Protestant movement was born out of that. In fact, it really wasn't. Luther was one of many different quote unquote reformers that were happening all separately, not part of one big movement. But one of the big focuses of Luther was that it's scripture is the final authority, not the church, right? So obviously the Catholic Church at that time really in bed with the government, the Pope really corrupt, but the Pope could make um, he had the final authority on, on the way to interpret Scripture. Luther says, no, Scripture should be for the common people. People should be able to read and interpret for themselves, which is a good thing on paper. But one of the downsides is that if you don't agree with someone, well, there's no authority. You just start your own thing. Hence why there are thousands of denominations now in the Christian faith, in the Protestant movement, because there's no one person that everyone agrees has the final say on how to interpret a certain Scripture. So I think what we're seeing is just this evolution of how, because of that idea of, well, I can read the Bible and interpret it however I want, because, you know, the priesthood of all believers kind of belief, people have turned church into whatever they think is the best version of whatever it would be, church. And so here we are hundreds of years later, and there's just, I think that's just part of the fruit of what what was of from the seeds that were sown all those years ago of, well, I don't really agree with your view, so let me start something else. And because of that, I think this term church has just evolved over the years because nothing's been really grounding it to what we would agree, even you and me would say is a biblical view, while someone might argue that, no, that's not the right view, this is a more biblical view. And you just, you're in this circle, this catch-22 of, well, however I read scripture is the most accurate. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely. happening for hundreds of years, obviously. We're not, we're not just seeing it now, but that's we're, we're still seeing the ripple effects from that movement, which did a lot of mm-hmm. good, by the way. But one of the downsides was that idea of, well, I don't agree with you, so we're going to split. I'll start my own thing and uh, see you later, which is really fragmenting to the body. Yeah, I remember talking to somebody about the Sunday morning services, and his comment was, the Sunday morning gathering is the most divisive of all things. And I was like, yeah, actually, you're right, because there's so many people that, well, this is how I interpret Scripture, and that's how you interpret Scripture, and we'll just go our different ways and have our own gatherings. And there's a bunch of believers that should have been together and should have been able to talk things out. And, I mean, that's I think that's what the early believers were doing. And that's why Paul came and confronted Peter and said, no, you're wrong on this issue, and here's why, and gave him all of the reasons. But that I I also look at Peter and say, you know what, he was man enough and godly enough to say, yeah, I was wrong, and bowed down and, and conceded and changed because of Paul's challenge, where... I think what what you're getting at is it almost inflated a bit of pride in, well, I'm right and I'm sticking my flag and I'm just going to chart my own thing. And that's why we have Baptists and Lutherans and Southern Baptists and Northern Baptists and Catholics and whatever. You, you name it, you could probably find a church that agrees with you. 
Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus. But where's the water? What's your plan?